everyone. Welcome back to Beyond the RX. This is your co-host, Shweta Kochi, with Elena Robinson. Today, for our guest speaker, we have Christine Rich. Thank you so much for being here today, Christine. We really appreciate your time. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Can you tell us a little about yourself and your healthcare journey with Crohn's disease? Yeah, so um, like I said, my name is Christine Rich. I, um, I just uh, decided during, you know, COVID last year that while everyone was sort of shut in, why not write a book? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote a book called Chronic about my experience living with and learning to sort of accept and befriend my chronic illness, which is Crohn's disease. So when I was 15 years old, I started noticing that I went to the bathroom a lot more than my girlfriends did. And when you are a 15-year-old girl, there's probably nothing more embarrassing than having to go to the bathroom every time after you eat. And so I was on a vacation with my best friends and Every time we would go get ice cream or go out to dinner with her parents, it'd be like, I have to go to the bathroom like immediately. And they would be like, oh my gosh, we don't know anyone who goes to the bathroom more than you do. And I kind of laughed it off and, you know, no big deal. But little by little, I started getting um, more and more symptomatic. And what was going to the bathroom after, you know, a couple meals was going to the bathroom, rushing to the bathroom after any meal, even drinking water and having to go to the bathroom and just extreme like stomach aches and cramping. And eventually probably six months in, I started noticing blood when I went to the bathroom. People kept telling me, oh, it's probably just like a hemorrhoid, which when you're you know, 15, 16, what's more embarrassing than diarrhea and hemorrhoids, right? So then I started really losing a lot of weight and I had this crippling fatigue. I couldn't even make it through a class without falling asleep. My mom, would, we'd go shopping on the weekends and that was one of my favorite things I loved to do. And I would go to the car and say, I'm gonna go take a nap. I can't, I can't keep up. And eventually my parents you know, took me to our family doctor who I will say at first kind of just shrugged it off and was like, oh, probably just really nervous. And, you know, she's always been a bit of a perfectionist. And I just think that's so frustrating because the last time I checked, and I'm not a medical student or a doctor, but the last time I checked, perfectionism doesn't make you poop blood. (laughs) She kind of just sent us on our way and I just continued to decline, get worse and worse. I mean, I was just like a shell of a person. I couldn't even like really get off the couch after a while. And I just wanted to live a normal teenage life. So we went back to that doctor and she almost seemed annoyed and was like, I guess I can give you a rectal exam if you want one. Nobody wants a rectal exam. I guess we can do this test if if you want it. And so we did some testing that came back inconclusive. And I just started getting so and so frustrated by my senior year in high school. It was just all consuming. And my parents really just pushed for referral to a GI specialist. And within a few weeks, I had a test for a colonoscopy and I was diagnosed with Crohn's. I remember that moment being diagnosed. I was so relieved to have something, but I was also devastated because I couldn't wrap my mind around what it meant that something would be with me forever that I could never fix. I always say it took me about two years to get a diagnosis. It took me 10 years after that to learn to accept it. And then another 10 years after that to really learn to understand my diagnosis and relationship to my body and my mental and physical and emotional health. Wow. That's a very difficult time, especially as a younger teenage girl. And I'm sure that felt very ostracizing at times. Did you feel that your Crohn's disease and the symptoms that you were having created a lot of stress on your friendships? Did you feel like people really didn't understand you? I would say, you know, here's the thing about 
Crohn's and honestly, a lot of chronic illnesses, but especially something like IBD, Crohn's or, or ulcerative colitis that I think we really need to be careful about. And I've had actual physicians say this to me too. You don't look sick or God, you're so thin. I wish I could be that thin. I was getting like all of this attention, mm-hmm. something that made me feel so bad. And it really did a number on my body image. And to this day, I still, you know, have to remind myself that being underweight isn't normal. That's not healthy. But growing up in those formative years, hearing people say, oh my God, you look amazing. You're so thin. It's, it's a really weird dynamic. And so I wouldn't say I was ostracized. I would say no one really knew because I learned to hide it. And I mm-hmm. think that that is really common because again, when you're 15, 16, 17, 18 year old girl, who wants to talk about poop and diarrhea and suppositories? And I didn't want to know about proctofoam. Like, oh my mm-hmm. God, I was, I remember feeling very initially grateful, but then very angry that I had to deal with this. I I looked at my friends who went away to college and my parents were kind of afraid to send me away because I was so fragile. And they're talking about all these great parties they're going to. And the biggest thing they're worrying about is when am I going to wear out Thursday night? And I'm thinking, I've got to make sure I get home to take my suppositories. (laughs) To my, to my friend's credit, you know, when they were reading this book, they were like, Chris, I'm so sorry. I didn't honestly know that you were going through that, but mostly because I didn't let them know. A chronic illness like Crohn's disease can be kind of tricky because you put on a dress, you do your hair and put makeup on and you don't look that sick. Mm-hmm. I cannot explain the crippling fatigue that comes with a flare-up. And I didn't realize until probably I started writing this book that whether I'm having a flare-up or not, fatigue is a very common symptom of an autoimmune disease. And I always felt so bad and like ashamed, like, why am I so tired all the time? What's wrong with me? And just having the ability to explain to a patient, yes, Crohn's is going to affect your digestive system and your digestive tract, but it's also going to impact your level of energy. And no one talked to me about how it would impact or could impact my mental and emotional health. That didn't come until years later. Right. What did you do during that time period of prior to your diagnosis, how did you, and I guess even after your diagnosis, how did you deal with kind of the emotional and mental turmoil that came with everything that you were going through? I put on a brave face and shoved it down, which as we know, only makes things worse. Right. Um, I felt like I didn't deserve to be upset because, you know, I grew up in a family that was, it could always be worse and count your blessings and have faith in God. And I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive. No one talked to me about going through the grieving process of my health. You know, I thought fully reserved for the loss of a loved one, not the loss of a functioning colon. Who wants to have to think about something for the rest of their life? I think that was probably one of the biggest misses with my diagnosis. And my GI doctor was really, truly incredible, but no one said to me on follow-up visits or ever really, even upon diagnosis, you might want to get your daughter into some therapy. Here's, here's some um, referrals for therapists who specialize in health-related things like that. And I honestly locked myself away in my room and just kept going forward with my life to the point where I was in such denial that I got really, really sick in my late 20s because I had never fully learn to process and accept that diagnosis mm-hmm. until I kind of had to. Wow. When after diagnosis, did you start seeing a therapist? And how do you, how do you feel that seeing a therapist and working on your mental health also affected your physical health? Oh gosh. Yeah. So my freshman year in college, I actually developed an eating disorder and I didn't understand it really until probably a few years ago when I was like, oh, that's what that was about. Again, the body image thing was one piece where 
I was, I felt like I was expected to be a size zero forever. Cause that's the size that people seem to like me the most. And I would get the most attention, put that on top of my body was basically giving me the middle finger. And I wanted any kind of control back that I could get just feeling so overwhelmed and so anxious. I, I didn't and angry, right? Like I was angry. Women especially aren't really supposed to be angry. Right. <laughs> right? Like, right. We're not, that's not really, really permissible. And I hope you're picking up on my sarcasm, but um, <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. All of that anger and just like shoved it down. And it literally made me more and more sick. It's interesting. I learned that people with IBD are more likely to develop eating disorders. So anyways, that's when I actually first saw a therapist. Interestingly, so I was probably 19. No one drew the the bridge between my eating disorder and my recent diagnosis. It was never talked about. It was like, oh, again, Chrissy's a perfectionist and she's, did anyone think that maybe I just got a big bomb dropped on me and no tools or resources to really fully process what this means? So I was able to get treated for that eating disorder and overcame that. But I would say that behavior just morphed into other things, right? So I still was carrying that fear and that anxiety and that worry. And so I threw myself into my schoolwork. And after school, I threw myself into marriage and a family. And I threw myself into building my career. And I was just full steam ahead. By the time I was 29, I had been married for eight years. I had two little girls. I was building a really, a pretty great career. And I absolutely hit a brick wall. My body started shutting down and I ended up in the hospital for about a week. And it really was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, although it was the hardest experience I ever went through. I can remember my doctor saying, we might need to remove your colon and your rectum and you will probably have to live with a bag for the rest of your life. And I remember sitting in the hospital so sick and so depleted. And I kept saying, but I'm not that sick. I'm fine. And I just was so in denial. I don't think I really started seeing a therapy, a therapist about that until I was in my thirties. That's why I would say it took me 10 years to accept it. And then another 10 years to truly understand what it was all about. The reason I wanted to write this book and really talk with more medical professionals is that I hope that more of that, that grieving process and understanding the impact it can have on mental health and a patient can come to you and say, I'm fine. Those are the ones that, that doctors should be worried about the most. No one's fine with having a chronic illness. It's insane how similar my sister's story is to how uh-huh. she was actually misdiagnosed at first and that almost killed her. Um, she was also uh, pooping out a lot of blood and she was pale and she was walking around unable to walk around. Mm-hmm. It was scary. She's my best yep. friend. I thought I was going to lose the one person. I can't imagine walking this earth without. And we saw a GI specialist. She finally got a colonoscopy and it was the same thing where the first feeling was just relief. Oh my God, yep. I'm finally diagnosed properly. And then the second thing was, oh, you have the worst form of ulcerative colitis. Your entire colon is inflamed. We're going to have to take it out. She was only 18 and it's scary. And I think one thing that helped her a lot that I also want to talk about here with you is, is diet. In India, we focus a lot on diet and like homeopathic mm-hmm. medicines and Ayurvedic medicines and stuff. And so the second that we found out she was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, my parents went looking for really good dietitians to help her because <laughs> diet is so important. Yes. Obviously, just as important is mental health but diet. So that was the first thing they thought they could fix, a problem they could solve. And so they found a dietitian that we were related to and she helped her where my sister had to spend six months on a liquid diet. We went down to the basics so that her colon could 
I guess, just have a kickstart, right? Fix itself. And she went back for a colonoscopy, I think, six months later, and all of the inflammation, all of the pulps were gone because yeah. of that diet. And diet fixed everything. Her doctors, the GI specialists, were so surprised. They were like, this is a miracle. Like, we thought we'd have to take out her, her colon, and now she just needs to take misalamine. Do you feel like, aside from also therapy, like, how has diet improved your health? Yeah, I think that's, that's huge. And it's, you know, I was diagnosed in the late nineties, not to, <laughs> to show my age, but this was like before, not just before social media, before Google, like, let me break it down. There was not a lot of information. So I would say for years and years, the whole thing that I would hear is diet has nothing to do with it, which doesn't even make sense. It's your digestive system. What are you talking about? <laughs> so the reason why that was so damaging at first is because I thought, well, if diet has nothing to do with it, it doesn't matter what I eat, I'm going to feel sick. So I would just do whatever I wanted to do. For me personally, and I think it's different for most people, you know, my, my sister has also has Crohn's. So, and our symptoms are very different and we are affected by food very differently. If she eats fried food or dairy, she is in the bathroom for the next 24 hours. That doesn't really happen to me unless I'm having a flare up. So I always say, if I'm having a flare up, I can't eat anything. And if I'm not having a flare up, I can eat anything. But when I got out of the hospital and was super, super sick, a couple months, I decided to become a vegetarian. For me, I think of it like a tripod. On one side of the tripod that keeps me stable and healthy is my medication. And I used to try to find that silver bullet that would be like, maybe this diet will do it. Maybe this vitamin will do it. Maybe this meditation will do it. And I realized it's kind of all of it. I have to take my medication as prescribed or it won't work. I know that seems obvious to a physician, but it's a hard mental hurdle to overcome, especially if you're not flaring. Cause it's like, well, I don't feel sick. Why am I taking a handful of pills? That's one piece. But for diet, absolutely. As soon as I became vegetarian and really started committing myself to taking my medication as prescribed, taking better care of myself, napping when I'm tired, not pushing and saying yes to everything, I had the longest remission of my life. I was in remission for seven years and I had probably been on and off a flare up every year since I was 17. So if we take medication as prescribed, if we manage our mental health and emotional health and, and stress levels, if we eat healthy, look what happens, you know? So don't tell me, you know, food has nothing to do with it. I would never say that medication has nothing to do with it. So I will say though, when I am flaring, coffee is the devil for me. It is like, and it's so hard because I live for coffee. And when I'm flaring, I just, it will send me into a tailspin. But again, it's all about listening to your body. There's there's days where I get a little cronesy, I'll call it, and I just have to think back, why am I feeling symptomatic? Let me think what's going on. You know, am I burning the candle at both ends? Am I not watching what I'm eating? Am I, you know, holding all my stress in? I mean, the more physicians, I'm not saying that, you know, as a physician, you have to be a therapist and a dietitian and specialize in your in your field, but to know your resources and at least talk to your patients about it, I think is an obligation if you're in the medical field. Right. I definitely agree with that. And something that I'm interested in is the concept of kind of mind-body medicine. So I know you were talking about your diet and taking your medication, but in regards to day-to-day -day mental health, whenever you're having just a really stressful day or a flare-up, what do you do? What's your go-to to kind of relieve stress? Do you paint yoga, Tai Chi? What, what is it? Well, first and foremost, I, I now I nap. Okay. And I used to tell myself this lie that I'm so busy. I can't nap. And I, at the time my kids were so little and I can't nap because my kids need this and that. If you're not healthy and functioning, it will not go away. Mm -hmm. There's no 
out of this unless you address it, which I think was really hard for me to wrap my mind around. So when I start feeling that way, definitely napping is huge. If I'm having a flare up, I try not to push it too hard because I have to sort of reserve my energy. And two years ago, I was in a really healthy place. I was not flaring. I was in remission. And I decided to take a spin class. I was like, all right, I'm going to be 40 in two years. Time to get down and make this happen. The first class I took, I was... I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. I did not pace myself, which was terrible. And I was like, I can't go back there. But I bought like a four pack and I was like, go back. Um, Long story short, I just kept going back. And eventually I became a spin instructor at 39. I fell in love with it. I work full time. I have teenage kids. And I just absolutely, every time I would go on that bike, I kept thinking about how sick I was when I was 29 and how I had no muscle tone and how walking up a flight of steps would wipe me out. And then here I was strong and, and, and I had muscles and that sweating for me and that extreme like cardio, I don't think my mental health had ever been better. And physically, I never felt better either. I always say sweat out the demons, right? I would get on that bike and just be in this dark room. And if I was stressed out or angry, in the past, I would just hold it in, can't be crazy at work or can't be, you know, screaming at home. I would get on that bike. It would be dark and I would dance and sweat and cry and there'd be snot everywhere. And it was, <laughs> but it was like so empowering. And I remember just, I would look at myself and I was like, I can't believe my body can do this because I've seen how weak my body can be. And there's just something so empowering about that. Right. Wow. That's a That's crazy. Just like in 10 years, the stark difference of how you feel about yourself. That's, that's really amazing. And I applaud you for taking spin classes because I could not do that. And then being a spin instructor too. That's, oh my goodness, you're incredible. You're superhuman. (laughs) I think the thing about having a chronic illness is that you build a resilience that you didn't know that you had, because I would just tell myself, I've done harder things than this before having the ability to move my body and be healthy right now is such a gift. Don't waste it. I'm trying to get back in that mental space because after the pandemic and my husband and I both got COVID, like it just really took us, basically had to restart building all over again. But I know for me, if I'm not moving, whether it's walking, spinning, dancing, I'm 41 year old mother too. I love a dance party in my kin. I love doing people. I don't care. That is joyful movement and it's stress relieving, you know? Very true. That's very true. I get stressed out. I'm like, either I go for a run or I go climb to make myself feel better. (laughs) And I think because I did have body image issues for so long, I viewed exercise as a means to an end. And that means was always thinness. And until I kind of shifted my perspective to appreciating my body and and trying to be strong and healthy, I, I started viewing exercise not as something to punish myself for because I ate something or because whatever, but it was my reward. I looked at it as not that I have to exercise, but I get to exercise. I think just mind shifts like that are really helpful too. Right. 100%. And I think that that's huge for fitness in general, not thinking like, oh, I want to look a certain way, but I want to feel a certain way. You know, I want to feel strong and empowered when I was diagnosed, no one said, you're going to want to think about establishing some sort of healthy exercise routine because it will help you manage your stress. And as I was writing the book, I found this report that said, anecdotally, we've always known that stress exacerbates symptoms of IBD, but we have this study that now shows that, that this is true. No shit. Like, <laughs> you, I mean, you can't 
tell me that this was like new news to anyone. So I'm just glad and I'm really grateful. And, you know, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation is, is such a great organization. They've really been doing a lot of research around things like diet and Crohn's and mental health and Crohn's because 15 years ago, it was like, here's a pill, here's a biologic, probably going to need surgery. As a patient, that can feel really overwhelming and like, well, what's the point then, right? But if there are things that we can do to stack the deck in our favor, I personally don't believe that exercise alone, diet alone, or medication alone helps with remission. I think it's all three of those things. And so I would love to see more of that be part of the total plan of care for a patient. So you mentioned in your book, Chronic, that your sister also had Crohn's. Were you guys diagnosed at the same time? Yeah. So I was diagnosed my senior year in high school, and then she was diagnosed 18 months later. I was heartbroken one day as I was talking to her because I had this realization that I wasn't there for her. And that's my, that was my baby sister. She was 12. I didn't go to her. I didn't do the things that a big sister is supposed to do. But at the time I wasn't showing up for myself. And so I didn't have the capacity to show up for someone else because in my mind, I kept saying, it's fine. It's no big deal. Take your medicine and move on with life. My heart breaks for my parents because I can't imagine having two children having that same diagnosis. It was a very hard time. And again, she's in middle school, which is probably arguably the hardest time of adolescence. They actually put her on prednisone and they kept her on it too long. And so she gained a lot of weight. She got rid of every picture from that time in her life because she's like, it was so traumatic and I was teased so much. No one talks about that, right? These are kids. And I think that's what's hard about something like Crohn's. It's often diagnosed in in people who are adolescents. And so you haven't lived through enough life to know that that you will be able to manage and overcome hard things, right? When you're 12 or 17 or even 20, you haven't gone through, most people haven't gone through really, really hard things and, and had the realization that, wow, even though that was awful, I was okay and I made it through. That's crazy. And something you said really hit me. During that time, being 12, 13, you don't have a great perspective of what's ahead of you in life. When I was 12, I developed chronic pain. And I remember a doctor told me, just quit dance, you'll be fine. I was in love with dance. Like that was my passion. And for someone to just sit, say that so casually, like you'll get over it, you'll be fine. It's, it's hard and it's scarring for a lot yeah. of individuals. And it affected how I perceived myself. So just kind of tying into that, how did Crohn's disease affect the way that you perceived yourself? How did doctor's treatment affect the way you perceived yourself? Did you see yourself as broken? It really did kind of a doozy on our body image because we live in a society that praises women, especially for being as small as humanly possible. And so it's, it's really messed up. I felt like I was flawed and broken and not whole. I don't know how to explain it. I I remember I was watching a movie with my husband and I was probably in my early thirties and I had gone through much of a healthier trajectory and I'd been on that long remission and we were watching, oh my gosh, this is so cheesy. The fault in our stars. All of a sudden I hit pause and I was like, oh my God, I know what it is. And he was like, you know what, what is? And I was like, this feeling, this heaviness I've been carrying for so long. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, here's the thing. There is something inside me that is broken, that I will never be able to fix, that will never go away, no matter how much I achieve, no matter how many promotions I get, no matter how many, whatever I do, I have this thing that is broken that I can't fix and I'm mad about it. And then I just started sobbing and he was like, 
this feels out of left field. I'm like, it kind of is, but it just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And so I wasn't able to articulate that for a very long time. But again, as an adult and being able to kind of process these things and started you know, doing the, the hard work of sort of going inward, that is what it is. And that's why I feel restless a lot of the time because I just want to either A, run away from it or try to fix something that's unfixable. There was a couple of reasons why I wrote Chronic. And one of them was I wanted other women to feel like they weren't alone and feeling ashamed or feeling afraid or feeling gross. You know, I mean, poop's gross, you know, <laughs> it is. And I also wanted them to know that they are empowered in certain ways. And even though it feels like there's something broken in you that can't be fixed, there's just something in you that needs love and friendship. I had this realization that if I carry anger and fear about Crohn's disease, I'm essentially projecting anger and fear towards my body and my, my spirit. I can't live like that. So what if we just like called a truce and I learned to befriend my Crohn's? What if I treated my Crohn's like my daughters? What if I said, come here and sit with me and what do you need? And I love you and you're safe and it's okay. That mind shift kind of changed everything. It seems counterintuitive to extend love to a chronic illness, but the last thing anyone needs with a chronic illness is more anger and fear. Wow, that's really powerful. And just like the entire shift of not only like accepting yourself, but taking the steps that you can to make yourself feel better and, you know, fully take care of yourself is super important. And I think what's frustrating too, though, is there are times where I would get so mad and like, I'm doing everything right. Why is this still not working? And that will happen. And I think that's where having a good support system comes in. When you feel like nothing's working, that's when you need to double down as a patient more. I knew I had to do my part. I had to follow up with my doctor's appointments. I had to go get my blood work done, not wait a week to fulfill, to fill a prescription because it was inconvenient. I needed to just do my part in the process. And I think for a long time, because I was in fear and denial, I just wasn't a very good patient. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting just coming from growing up and having a hard time already as a female accepting my body and being okay with who I am and then throwing in chronic pain or chronic disease must be really difficult. A lot of people don't understand how much strength it takes to accept yourself, even dealing with the setbacks that you run into with dealing with this chronic disease, but continuing to have resilience and to keep going and keep fighting. Of all the people in the U.S. with an autoimmune disease, 80% are women. So this is very much a women's health issue. Women are much more likely to be labeled as a chronic complainer before being actually diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. They're more likely to not be treated for pain. It takes longer to get a diagnosis. And how do we let women know that you know your body? You know when something isn't right. So what can we as healthcare providers do to help our patients better in that scenario? Because I remember you mentioned how you felt broken when you were first diagnosed, how you felt this anger and this fear. What can we as doctors do to help combat that? When, when I got my diagnosis and they were explaining it to me, they're like, it affects your entire digestive tract from your mouth to your rectum. It's like having strep throat, but in your digestive tract. And it can also affect your skin and your eyes and da, 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 da. And here's your medicine and here's your follow-up appointment. And do you have any questions? To take a moment to say, this is a lot to take in. And what I want you to do is go home and write down all your questions. And I want you to come back in a week. You know, this is a lot to process. And it is not unusual to feel Things like grief, anger, fear, sadness. If you start to experience those things, that's 100% normal. 
here, here's a list of therapists in my practice or in the you know, hospital system that I'm in that I really think you should consider setting up some time with. When my girls go for their physicals every year, while they're waiting for the nurse to come in, not even the doctor, they are handed a depression screening. Started it when they were 12 years old. Why don't we do that for people with chronic illness? Even just asking the question, tell me a little bit about how you're processing. How are you coping? What are you doing to manage stress? Tell me about what you're eating. You know, it's just asking some simple questions instead of saying, that doesn't really matter. It's not going to change it. Just take this pill. You'll be fine. Right. So was there a point throughout your journey so far that a physician has that has said, how are you doing mentally? No. Ah, that's not good. Actually, I'll take that back. But I went to our family doctor like about three years ago. I was going through a really hard time, very, very stressful time, just personally and professionally. And I went because I, I knew that I was feeling depressed because I had postpartum depression with my first daughter. And it was very strange that I was having those same feelings and thoughts. And I was like, oh, this is depression. I remember this, you know, I went and I talked to him and he said, I think you need to take a week off work. Let me write you a note. I never took time off work when I had a flare up before. No doctor ever said, I think you should take a week off work. It never dawned on me to take time off work because of my flare up. I thought I had to keep just pushing through because life doesn't stop. I didn't want to complain or ask for special treatment. No one ever really explained to me that like that's within your right to do. I really have to challenge myself to say authentic yeses and definitive noes. I realized that I would say yes to so many things that I really, if I was being honest with myself, didn't even want to do. And, and I remember getting to the point at one point in my 30s thinking, why am I putting that person's comfort above my own? And my husband was like, I know why you do that because you're too afraid to say no. And I was like, shit, you're right. Like things like talking to patients about, you know what, you should feel comfortable saying no. And you don't have to explain yourself because here's the thing. Fatigue is part of this. So explaining all of that. I don't know if it's an unrealistic expectation for a patient to ask those things of specialists and doctors. It's not. It doesn't okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the so. bare minimum, in my opinion. After I had that really, really bad flare up, I, I got out of the hospital and I was like, okay, well, I don't want to get my colon and rectum removed. So I thought of my cousin who had been in recovery since she was a teenager and her disease was alcoholism and her remission was sobriety. Her, the whole mantra of Alcoholics Anonymous is one day at a time. She does things every day to stack the deck in her favor, to maintain and work. She works for her sobriety every single day. She goes to meetings, maybe not every day, but every week. She obviously doesn't put herself in scenarios or situations that are triggering to her. She's very honest about her feelings and emotions and she doesn't bottle things up, you know? And that's where I came up with that whole concept of like a wellness and remission tripod. One side was medication as prescribed. One side was mental and emotional health. And the other side was real self-care. I thought if I could pick one of those things every day, medication, something good for my mental health, in some form of self-care, I can do that every day. Knock on wood, it's worked so far. So with alcoholism, you get to go to, or you have the ability to go to AA meetings. And so you have a community that you build there. Did you go right. searching for a community when you were first diagnosed with Crohn's or at any point throughout your healthcare journey? And if so, how did you go about searching for a community and how did that help you? Yeah. So in the beginning, they did tell us about support groups. And I was like, hell no. And there were a couple of reasons why I said, hell no. Number one, I was a big fat scaredy cat. I did not want to know or hear or see how bad things could get. 
the second thing was I kept thinking, well, I'm not that sick. I'm not like those people. So going to a support group is kind of admitting that I am sick and there is something that I need support with. The third piece was I kept thinking, well, so many other people have this disease so much worse than I do. You know, there are people who literally can't work. They can't have kids. Like it can be really bad. And I just felt like, I don't know if I really deserve to be part of that. I do realize that those were all lies that I told myself because again, I was afraid. But once I started opening myself up to this community, oh my God, I was like, why did I wait so long? Hearing these stories actually made me feel less afraid. You know, unfortunately, if you're exhausted and already overwhelmed, it's hard to take on one more thing, but it can feel so isolating. So even finding one other person that you can talk to and open up about and not have to feel like you have to put on this, I'm fine. Like my sister and I, we can call each other out all the time. We always use humor in our relationship to talk about Crohn's. But again, it sounds like, you know, you with your sister that you don't have UC, but you are a support to her. Growing up, like my mom would always talk about God and everything. And my sister had reached this point where she's joking. She's like, you know, like out of all the diseases, God realized the hardest one to give me is the one where I have to watch where I eat because my sister's a big foodie. And so now (laughs) she's like, now I can't eat anything that I want. God was like, out of all the diseases, this one will be the toughest for her. Let's give her this. And I'm like, oh my goodness. But hey, if she can joke about it, that means she's reached a point where she's one, accepted it. She can talk about it freely with me. And I really appreciate that, that I can be that support system for her. It's interesting that you talk about God, because at one point I grew up in a very religious, very Catholic household. And I remember thinking right after I was diagnosed that God was mad at me. I kind of carried this feeling for a long time of like, I'm not enough. And that's why this happened. God doesn't punish you like with illness. That, that's not how this works, you know? And so I just, I had a very immature view of, of, of God. Yeah, that's crazy that you say that. So I grew up chronic pain in my legs. I couldn't sit down for more than 30 minutes. When I was 17, I was talking to my best friend and I was like, God hates me. I did something wrong. Growing up, I did not have anyone to talk to about my chronic pain because like no one, no one has butt pain when they're 12. It's so great to talk to someone that had just like a chronic issue that they've dealt with. Think about this. These young kids are thinking, is God punishing me? Even to say, there's nothing you did wrong. That's not how this works, you know? And this is not your fault. I mean, oh my God, this is not your fault. That, that alone is huge. If we really look at this holistically and that intersection of physical health and mental health, how much better would our patients be? How much healthier would they be and well-rounded would they be? You know, if they, if they have their mind right, they're probably more likely to follow up with doctor's appointments, take their medication as prescribed because they're not in denial. They're not afraid. Growing up, I only had one doctor that said, how, how is this affecting you? And I was like, what did you just ask? <laughs> did you just ask about my mental health? <laughs> and so it was just like really nice. And then having obviously like parents that would drive me to the doctor's appointments and that would mm-hmm. pay for my injections and my surgeries. What would happen if I didn't have these resources? Instead of saying, how are you doing? Because oftentimes we lie as patients to say, tell me what you're doing to address the mental and emotional toll this illness is taking on you. What, what are you doing? you might realize I'm not really doing anything. Why aren't you? Did you need a referral? Are you not aware of it? You can't make someone go to therapy and you can't, you know, make someone take medication. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't force a patient to go to therapy, but I do think it's important that doctors provide these resources to the patient so that they come up with this decision to go to therapy themselves. 
or, you know, make the decision themselves because patient autonomy is so important. But we are running out of time. I do want to thank you, Christine, for your time and your vulnerability. We absolutely loved having you on this podcast. Thank you for the work that you guys are doing to bring more awareness to this, to the medical community. I think it's incredible. As always, like and follow us on Spotify to keep up with our episodes. And please do read Christine's book titled Chronic for more insight into the life of someone living with Crohn's disease. We also love engaging with our audience. So if you know anyone that wants to speak on their healthcare journey with chronic disease, or if you have any chronic diseases that you would like showcased, please do reach out to us. We love to see healthcare through your eyes.